Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. If you want to learn useful, practical how-tos of weight loss, exercise science, nutrition, or just how to optimize your time in the gym and life, this show is for you. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast, and today we are sitting down with someone very special. Today we are sitting down with someone who exercises quite good. And by quite (laughs) good, I mean not just the strongest in the gym, usually not just the strongest in a competition, but I'm talking the strongest in the world. We are sitting down with 11-time world champion, IPF Hall of Famer, the real-life Miss Frizzle, (laughs) math teacher, bench press extraordinaire, powerlifter extraordinaire, Jen Thompson. Welcome, Jen. That was such a nice intro. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's funny because when you go to when I go to interview someone, I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm, I'm saying the right things and uh-huh. I'm hitting the right points. I don't want to say something wrong. You've, you've won so much that it's hard to find the exact number of how many wins you have. So when I was looking online, it depends on what, what article comes up, 10 time mm-hmm. world champion, 11 time world champion, 25 time national. Like there were so many different numbers <laughs> come up. So I said, the 11 seems to come up most frequently. Is that true? Yeah. You're 11 time world champion? If you combine them all together, I think I have, um, I have four in the quick bench press world championships. I have uh, three in the raw world bench press championships and I have four in the full power lifting classic world bench press championships. So if you add them all up, it's 11. Perfect. So I was good. I was right. 11. Okay, great. And um, any, anyone who is familiar with myself, Project Fitness, uh, power lifting, they, they know who you are. Everybody knows your tremendous accolades in the sport. And some people might say you're an absolute outlier. Some people might say, like the kids might say, she's the she's a freak when it comes to bench <laughs> uh, I would I would always say that you are you are disciplined, and I think that goes to show because a lot of people aren't fully aware that you've been exercising in the strength game for what twenty years, twenty seven years. Well, I've been power competitive powerlifting for um, twenty one years now, but I've always exercised in some way through high school, through college, and then into powerlifting. I've always done some, some sort of exercise. <laughs> and you are the fountain of youth. You are almost, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to say this, but you are almost 50, correct? Well, I'm 47. I don't like to talk about the 5-0 quite yet. <laughs> I keep telling my husband, I'm still mid-40s. And he's like, I think you're late 40s. I'm like, no, nope, I'm still calling it mid-40s. <laughs> But the fountain of youth, I mean, you are extremely healthy. You are um, the, uh, the elite level as an athlete. You definitely take care of your body. But when some people will say things to me like, oh, that's the freak bench presser. I'm like, no, that's someone that's actually taking care of their body for 40 plus years. That's someone who's dedicated to barbell training. As you said, competitively mm-hmm. 21 years, but you've been lifting since you were 20 years old. There's 27 years. And I think that if you just chip and you do a little bit here and there mm-hmm. every year, well, after 27 years, you're bound to do something quite well. 
Right. Yeah. And it was funny because like my husband has kept a spreadsheet of every meet, every lift that I have lifted. And so I was doing a speaker series with the Queens Powerlifting Club Mm -hmm. uh, last weekend. And so I was doing, um, you know, just how to stay in this game. So we actually took that spreadsheet and we put it into like a line graph. And it was pretty interesting because it really is, it's not a huge steep line. It's just a steady line increasing over 21 years. It's just a slow ride the whole way. And so you just can keep doing it, keep putting on strength slowly, naturally, you're going to get to some big numbers by the time you're 20 years in. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. I mean, it's the commitment you committed to exercise for that yeah. duration. You should see something, something improve with that much duration, even if you're doing it wrong. Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and you've been doing it right. And you've been doing it right for a long time. Um, so a lot of people that, that, that know about you and me, they know you've been lifting for a while, but I don't think everybody knows about how exactly you kind of got into the world of strength training because it's a bit different coming from a female perspective. And Mm -hmm. I do want to spend a lot of time today talking about the female perspective and your role as a role model in the sport. Would you mind us telling some of the listeners how you got into strength training and where it started? Uh, Well, I always like in retrospect and reflection, it really actually started in high school. I was um, actually a long distance cross country runner and I ran track and I high jump, but, um, one year I was, we had to take gym our ninth grade year and then you didn't have to take it again. And we also had to take swimming. Um, and then there was this class called Marine Fitness and it was, it was all like the bros in this class, like all the dudes and it was all worked around doing the Marine Fitness um, program, which was like a series of push-ups and sit-ups and so, and so on, you know, for a time period. And the coach of that program came into me during PE and he said, I want you in my class. I think you'd be really good. And I was pretty shy and intimidated as a ninth grader going into 10th grade. And I didn't want to do it because it was all boys. And I just felt intimidated and overwhelmed by it. But the idea of it appealed to me. So uh, my best friend in high school said, um, I'll, I'll sign up with you. I'll do it with you. Let's do it together. So I said, okay. So we signed up. And I, I took it every semester my entire high school after that. And um, I think that's where I got a lot of my upper body strength because it's a as females, we just we aren't born with it for sure. And it's something you have to work at. And so like by the time, and we actually competed in it. We went to other states and competed in this um, fitness type of program. And I could do 30 pull-ups. I could do 60 push-ups. I could do 100 sit-ups in two minutes. I could do the rope climb with no legs up and down. Like I just got super strong. And um, because it was mostly boys, those were um, who I was aiming for. And I could beat a lot of them by the time I got midway through this. And we did a small amount of weight training, but back then gyms weren't big. We had like a small universal machine and that was it, you know, which is the, the pins and the, the weights. And I remember like it was a machine press, but I think I was able to do like my body weight. And that was like huge. It was like 110 pounds, you know, and that was like a big deal that I could do that. And our coach who actually I still follow on Instagram, Hal Kemerson, he was our cross country coach and he was this he was a big supporter of mine and we were doing things and he'd be going, go after that guy, Jen, you can beat that boy, go get that boy. Come on, get, now get the next one, now get the next one, now get the next one. And I just got better and better and better. So I think that's kind of where a lot of what I call like my base strength came from is like I had uh, um, some upper body muscle where most of the girls sports, you know, you talk about soccer and things like that. It's all leg driven. It's not a lot of upper body um, strength. So I believe it all started from then and upon reflection. 
I think that's so important for people to hear because your environment was different. You were chasing the male counterparts as your uh-huh. competition. I would have never thought to do that if he hadn't been pushing me to do that. You know, he was quite, quite an amazing um, teacher and, and man and supporter of, of women's sports. Even though he had boys and he had a lot of boys in his class, he, he made it his mission to kind of pick out these girls and push them to do more than they thought they could. With knowing that, did that lead you into your decision to become a teacher? Um, that and a couple other ones. I had a couple other. I was not a good student in school. And I hated high school. Were you skipping school and doing pull-ups? Is that what? Yeah, right. No, I was a good girl. You know, I would go, but um, I didn't have a ton of friends. We moved around a lot and I didn't fit into any of the little cliques that they had. And uh, it wasn't a good experience. I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere, but sports. So um, it was sort of my saving grace. And I met some good um, teachers along the way. Although I really, if I, if you ask me, I hated high school. So I sort of, I find it ironic that I teach high school, but I say it's my mission to make sure no kids hate high school. <laughs> I love that so much. It's my mission to make sure no one was like me. <laughs> so I go out of my way, you know, to really talk with some of the kids that don't fit in. Um, I started a powerlifting club there and it is funny how, what kind of people powerlifting draws in. It usually draws in the kids that don't fit into a sport. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be athletic, uh, but they don't, know where they fit in. They don't particularly have a skill for football or basketball or baseball, but they want to do something. And so you get this really unique group of kids that bond together and they form this amazing community that's a support group, almost like through powerlifting. And some of them are athletic and some of them just really want to be there. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I find powerlifting is unique in that sense from a sport perspective. And I have a good friend of mine, we were chatting last week and he said, the best power lifters are always the best athletes. And I'm like, um, I don't, I don't think so. No. When you look at this person, this person, you know, they're not always the best athletic people. You have to lie on your back and push. You got to squat and stand. Yeah. Like there might be a lot of characteristics or there might be some ex high level mm-hmm. athletes who then do very well in power lifting. But when you sit down after a competition, you're at the banquet and you're at that table and there's 15 of you and you go around and you ask everyone, what do you do? What's your background? Everyone is so unique. Everyone yeah. is different. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people kind of are loners, right? Yes. But the, what's the one thing everyone has in common? It's an inviting sport that allows yes. anyone to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I've always admired the best, but I always love the, the relationships that you make when you, when you meet people. A hundred percent. And that's definitely what's kept me in the sport for so long is the people that I've met and the lifelong friends that I've made along the way um, has been amazing. It's mm-hmm. really, um, I think it's just wonderful. We have something like this. Agreed. And it's kind of silly. You push a bar, right? (laughs) There's not a lot of complexity to it, but I I personally believe, and and tell me if you feel the same around this, when it comes to barbell training or training in general, it's very individual. You work with a team and stuff, but at the end of the day, you lift it or you don't lift it. Right. But I think everybody respects each other's effort and and, and work ethic. Mm -hmm. I always get excited when I see someone hit a PR, whether Mm -hmm. it's a world record or their own PR, two and a half sure. kilos. It could be the last or the weakest person in that competition, but they right. hit a PR, they did their training, they tested it and they got it. And you can just see that level of excitement. Oh, for sure. And it's even like that back at Worlds, even in back in, uh, in nationals, you know, you're, it's pretty cutthroat. You know, you're all out there trying to win, but at the same time, you're high-fiving and cheering each other um, and made the best woman or man win, you know? So, and I remember like in Finland and specifically, 
Um, I hit a world record in the bench press, Probably. I think. Or right. it might have even been the total. No, I think it was that. And I remember walking to the back because Finland, like, it was just an amazing setup they had. And every lifter and coach was lined up to high-five me before they went and warmed up for deadlifts. You know, they could have just left and went to go warm, but they all mm -hmm. stayed and watched and, like, high-fived me as I walked through. It still gives me chills and goosebumps as I think about it. I think, what an amazing sport where that happens. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the biggest sports that generate income, like the NFL, you know, if a team beats the other team, they don't even shake hands. Yeah. Right. You don't see them in the locker room high five. And when the guy walks or the girl, when people walk down the hallway, that that's not mm -hmm. happening. And that is, you know, financially probably the biggest sport in the world. Sure. And they don't even do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, I think it's pretty special. Even like, like at my last nationals, you know, Sam Calhoun was pulling to beat me, but she was pulling for an amazing record. So we're out there cheering her on, you know, because mm -hmm. in the end, I feel like any big milestones that women in particular make, but men too, it's all good for our sport. Like it's all excelling our sport because I'd love to see it go bigger and higher places. Agreed. I'd, I'd like to just pivot a little bit on that note specifically where you talk about the sport going to bigger and better places and stuff. I mean, you've been um, world games athlete of the month. You, I mean, you've been at the top of the top, Hall of Famer, all that jazz there. You've got a different role now. You know, I, well, I don't know if you want it or not, but you, know, you, <laughs> are seen, you are seen as a role model in the sport uh -huh. for a lot of females, a lot of young women, and they look up to you. Knowing that they do that, have you changed the way you interact and stuff? Because since I've met you, since I've seen you in competition, we were at the Iron Sisters and stuff, you've just been like a ball of positivity. <laughs> I love watching you lift. Like, I want a spot and load sometime when you're competing. <laughs> Cause you come out and you high five the, the spotters and you get everyone fired up like that. I can, I feel good watching other people feel good, but yet you're the one doing mm -hmm. the lifting. Have you changed the way that you you've interacted with people over the years because of your involvement and your position in the sport? I don't know if I've changed the way I've interacted. I think probably made more aware would probably be a better way of saying it. I do uh, think uh, probably pause a second before I post things or say things sometimes um, trying to uh, remind myself that there's uh, people of all ages watching and listening. I'm hyper aware sometimes because of my teenage boys. I don't ever want to do or say anything to embarrass them because um, they're at a funky time in their life, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I would just say that I try to be um, where sometimes I might think something's off the cuff and funny and maybe a little bit rude. I probably wouldn't say it now. <laughs> Just being more aware of my audience um, and, and who, who's watching and being a teacher and somebody in, in the school, too. Uh, it's important that you uh, re represent all aspects of your life, I think, in a positive way. So um, I try to still be accessible. I try to still be helpful. I try to be positive, especially nowadays. It's kind of hard sometimes. Um, but I do. I, the only thing I think I change is I definitely um, pause a little bit more and think before I say or do. <laughs> no, knowing that I have this role model position now. Yeah, I'll have clients sometimes, and I deal probably 60, 70% of my uh, of the athletes that I coach are female. And, and they'll say, they'll message me, Jen Thompson liked my lift. She, she liked it on my Instagram post. Or I sent her a message, she messaged me back. 
And I'm like, yeah, like she puts pants on like everyone else. Uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, but then she benches like three wheels. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. I but do try to get to every message and everything. Anyone that tagged me, he'll get to them all. But I do try to make an effort because of things like that. You know, if that made somebody pretty happy that I did that, that was easy for me. <laughs> I, I can I can speak on their behalf. You you don't make you know a lot of women you don't make their day. You make their month. You might make their month just by by sending a message back. That's now, pretty wild. This is all the beauty. This is all the fun stuff. I mean, it's nice to be the you know the role model. <laughs> I don't think it was always like that when you started out in the sport, especially because the sport did not have a lot of females in, in the uh-huh. early days when you were competing and stuff. Was there any? Was there any roadblocks? Was there anything kind of slowing you down or stopping you? Was there any issues in the beginning that was different than today? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot more challenges, I think. You know, we definitely didn't have um, the internet as it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the late 90s, it was just kind of getting going. A lot of people didn't use it because it was so slow. <laughs> like, had to wait so long right. you know, for things to dial up. And um, so you definitely didn't have the wealth of information. I mean, there was still definitely more of a negative connotation for women with muscles. Um, and it wasn't, you know, if you were, to, luckily we train most of the time in our home, but sometimes we would go on vacation or whatever and work out in a, a public gym. And it was a little intimidating sometimes because people would be like, well, what are you doing in this section of the gym? The treadmills are that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, you know, I did get some um, not so nice comments about my physique as I was getting stronger. Uh, but now that's definitely changed. It's more celebrated than negative for sure and you can definitely walk in uh gyms nowadays and see quite a few women in those free weight spots you know and you see a lot more men and women working together but even in the competitions like there just wasn't the numbers um, and we were separated we would be the very beginning of the competition in the morning when no one would watch and they'd just get us all out of the way before the real competition started you know things like that and that has definitely changed you know we've gotten more of the spotlight roles and they've spread us out and our numbers, you know, are way better now. So, and social media has helped out a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you ever push for that? Did you ever say like, hey, you know, uh, uh, I'm doing a pretty big thing here. Why don't you have me midday? Or, yeah. or why don't you spotlight what's going on, you know, for the female side? Were you ever like an advocate for that? Yeah, yeah, we would definitely um, speak to meet directors, talk to um, organization, really throw out sort of just some ideas. I mean, we really didn't have any... Um, power to do anything but we did uh um and i always feel like um you know larry maley has been our president of usa powerlifting for a long time he's been a big supporter of women's the women's side of things so uh i can remember one year we were doing bench press nash or bench press worlds in hungary and the um ipf um administration thought that the women would love to have a um, bikini contest in between our lifting and so they were going to have us walk down stage in our bikinis and let the um, the men uh, rate us. <laughs> the lifters? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I quickly fired off an email to Larry Mail. I'm like, dude, this cannot be serious. He's like, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's like, and they were like, what? We thought the women would love to be showcased like this. You know, and I'm like, serious. I mean, like, we are here as athletes, not as your skin entertainment. Um, but ironically, although, you know, that got kibashed pretty fast after they put it out at the banquet that night, like the entertainment was half-dressed women naked dancing for us. You know, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I think that was probably back in, it might have been 04, somewhere like that. So I guess it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I, I would just like to see the opposite. This flipped one time. Just imagine it was like a men's only world. And then... Um, yeah. Uh, and then the, you get men dressed up in like yeah. speedos coming out Come at the out. banquet or something. <laughs> We're going to showcase you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so bizarre. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. Um, so for females in general, I'm sure you get this question all the time and stuff. You know, people, they want to, they want to emulate you. They want to be like you. They want to lift. They want to get stronger, but they might say things like my husband doesn't want me to have too many muscles mm. or they're like, I just don't want to get big and bulky. When, when someone says that to you, how do you normally respond to them? Um, I, usually, I usually just say that's sort of like a myth, and that usually comes from, you know, uh, men and women seeing um, bodybuilders, female bodybuilders that are um, taking a little extra stuff to achieve their physiques, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I usually just tell people, you know, your body's always going to let you get as big and as muscular as your body wants it to be. Like there's a regulation. You only have female hormones. You're not taking testosterone. So like the idea that you can even achieve that is false and your body's only going to go as strong as you allow it to be. So you will always maintain your femininity as long as you stay a natural athlete. So, and then a lot of times with the husbands, you know, um, as soon as they sort of recognize that and it's a slow process. I mean, you can't just pick up a weight and bam, you got, you know, traps and delts and quads and, you know, the yeah, booty, but if you know? out there knows how to do that, tell yeah. me. Be able to it's, it's a long process. It takes quite a while to do, you know? So um, I usually just kind of, you know, try to bring a little bit of dose of reality because that's just, um, it's fictional if you think that that can just happen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I always feel, um, I always feel sometimes that they're getting misinformation or, mm -hmm. you know, the magazine they picked up was from like yes. 1985. You know, right. Yeah. Like I um, do feel like a lot of that's changed. I feel like the um, variety of women's uh, physiques is more celebrated now. And I think that's a good positive change. Like when I first started, it was very much like everyone wanted to look like a model, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, barely any weight, you know, just super skinny. And now you see more people celebrating, you know, having the squat, butt and being thick with two C's, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> and, um, and feeling comfortable posting, you know, their body type. And so I love that we're heading in that direction. Yeah, we had uh, Girls Who Powerlift, uh, Ivy Knight was on uh, the podcast mm -hmm. the other week there, and we're talking about similar things, like ce celebrating what you can do, not, not, not what you mm -hmm. look like, but what can you do with the body you have. And uh, fun fact is like, you know, more muscle mass on a natural state leads to longevity. People with more muscle mass, they, they maintain their mobility and their independence a lot longer than people without it. Yeah, and, and bone you, density you, too, yeah. Yeah, and you're a phenomenal example, you know, like <laughs> of youth over here, you've been lifting weights for 27 years. That's right, that's right. So it's, it's done me well. <laughs> you do a bunch of other things within the sport as well, outside of just, you know, world records and all that jazz. I know you are a state chair, mm -hmm. right? So you, you're involved with organizing and running meets, yes? Yeah, yeah, I've been the state chair, I think since 2004 and I just took on a co-chair because we've been building up so well we need more than one person <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> running this stuff but um, it's been a big goal of mine to get uh, North Carolina powerlifting um, up and going and we've done a really good job we have a good reputation for running good professional meets um, and really putting the athlete as the focus of the meet um, so I'm very proud of, proud of that um, it, and if you've ever run a meet, it's 
it's no easy task. <laughs> yeah, we're um, uh, my wife and I in our powerlifting club uh, down here. We've been running meets for about five to probably eight years. And I think the biggest meet we ran was just over four hundred athletes. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so we've 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 been in it. We know. My wife always says, if I'm making five cents an hour for the work I'm doing, like I'm going to choose how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you run meets obviously just to increase the exposure of the sport or just as a way to give back. Yes. Yeah. Well, what, um, when I, we, we grew up in Detroit, Michigan, we moved down here and in outside of Charlotte and I think in 97. Um, and so when I got in powerlifting, you know, I needed a few years, I feel like to understand and learn the sport. Um, but we never really had a lot of leadership in North Carolina. Um, so I just decided I was going to step up and do that. <laughs> um, I think at the time I took it, we had like 11 members in our state. You know, we didn't have any referees. Um, I had just become a state referee myself. Uh, so um, it was a little bit of a big task. But a lot of it is just, you know, build it and they will come sort of attitude, you know. Mm -hmm. So once you kind of start things. Other people start jumping in and helping. And before you know it, you have a community working together to build and grow the sport that everybody loves. And, you know, I, I do love the meets just as we've said. You see a lot of returning athletes. You see them hitting PRs. Um, you see that community aspect, that giving back um, part of the sport. So, and I think it all starts at what we call the grassroots level, which is your local powerlifting events. You know, and if you can make sure that someone's first event is an amazing experience, odds are they're going to stay in. <laughs> and then maybe volunteer one day <laughs> yes got to get those volunteers <laughs> yeah it's kind of addictive eh? once you've established it or you felt it yourself well this makes me feel really good you want to share with other people mm -hmm. and I think the sport attracts two types of people one on that level the other is you know sometimes people are in it more for themselves what can I get out of this mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot more people who want to you know share those experiences with other people because let's be honest like sitting in a chair like if you're refing like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a national ref over here in Canada like yeah I I ref because I became a ref to be better at the sport yes to learn the rules of the sport so when I coach people I'll be good at it yeah I don't like sitting in a chair for four yeah, hours either. you know I it, like, it's it's not fun and, and you always not doing because they're, they're always short referees it seems like so you always get stuck doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah and 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 my knees hurt from sitting and I feel like, oh, you got to do the funny stretches. And then running a meet as well. There's always this, this small duration. I find that there's about one hour. We run a two-day event when everything is is flowing, right? Everything is, is, is going well. You got the volunteers in the right position. Everything's on time. For a split second there, you can stop and just look around and admire how great everything yes. is going. It's phenomenal. But it's yes. usually only about one hour per day. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos yeah, all the stress and chaos before. And then once you get through like the first round of squats, you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're okay. <laughs> Besides being part of, um, you know, running meets and being the chair in the sport of, of powerlifting and stuff, you, you're involved with a lot of different charities I see online. Yeah, I try to give back in as many ways as I can. Uh, my mom was a good influence on that. Um, I just feel it feels good to give back and help people and, to see um, the things that you do um, affect others in a positive way. So I do a lot with uh, No Kid Hungry, um, being tied in the schools and seeing the impact um, some kids have on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this is the one charity, I, there's a lot of charities out there, but I feel like this is the one that's making a huge impact. So I partnered on with them 
um, especially during the quarantine and while schools are out, they've been working very hard um, to uh, help kids get meals and not just meals, but healthy meals, not crappy meals, which is big. Um, so I like doing that. And then I, you know, just um, deliver meals to elderly people in our neighborhood and stuff like that. And we have our, I love my school. It's all about learn, serve and engage. And it's all about working in the community. So we have lots of community projects that we do at school with our kids. So um, it just makes you feel good. <laughs> There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk these days with social media and people talk about self, you need to have a self-help, self-love day. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, people, they're in the bathtub with a glass of wine and stuff. And it, it sounds like you get a lot of, you get a lot of positive positivity from helping others. Yeah. Well, a lot of times when you're helping others, it makes your own uh, struggles and um, things that you're working on seem a little silly <laughs> when you look at this. So the perspective uh, when you look at what other people are um, suffering and dealing with, and I always, whenever I'm feeling down or my kids are complaining about something, I always remind them and myself of that. There's someone else who's got it much harder than we do today. Let's just be thankful for what we have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just one sec. Someone's trying to call me right now. I don't, <gasps> I don't want to talk. I'm back on now. I, I agree a lot when it comes to that. Um, when you can, you should help other people. And, and with the charity work that, that you've done, um, if someone is thinking about doing some charity work and stuff, like, you know, do you have any uh, words of advice for them, how to get into it? Uh, really, it's just starting. Like, uh, it is amazing too. Like, you know, we did the um, Stronger Together, um, where I did it with Meg Squats and Ed Cohn and Bart Kwan and um, Risa Inda and Ray Williams. I just reached out to them and said, hey, do you want to do this with me? These kids need these meals. And they were all like, yeah, let's go. So a lot of times you don't even realize the people that are willing to help. They just need someone to ask them. Um, most people want to do things, but they just don't know where to start. So honestly, it's just coming up with an idea. A lot of times the charities have a lot of support of how you can help them. Um, raise money and guidelines and suggestions a lot of times it's just opening yourself up to being available and then you'll be surprised you know what you end up the ideas you end up coming up with I mean it can be easy as just like you know at our school some of the kids are making masks for for people to wear you know it can be some, it doesn't have to be some gigantic broad spectrum kind of thing mm-hmm. it could be just the fact that you're selling lemonade and giving that money to somebody that needs it I mean it doesn't have to be it can be small small things are big too. Yeah. I know where I am specifically in, in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, a lot of times things look really good. It looks like we've got a strong community. It looks like there's a lot of money in this area. It looks like everyone's fine. Um, but I actually coached at my, my wife's high school. And when I started coaching, I remember one time in the morning, one of the kids, uh, he didn't feel good. I said, why don't you feel good? Do you need breakfast? He's like, no. And I was kind of on him. I was like, you need to eat breakfast before yeah. this, like you need to eat. And he said, well, coach, they don't serve breakfast at school until this time. And I said, well, just eat at home before practice. He's well, we don't have any food. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm here. I'm from a different area. And yeah. then said, what do you mean? There's no food mm-hmm. live in this area. And he's like, our family doesn't have any money for food. So I get food through the school. Mm-hmm. And that really made me take a step back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't complain for a long time. <laughs> perspective and uh-huh. we, we use powerlifting here for the um the food bank mm-hmm. in our area we've been doing that for years and it was that one interaction i had with that one person who i didn't know and i think a lot of times people don't know what is going on in their communities and sometimes just 
if you want to help and volunteer in any aspect, there's always people who mm -hmm. need the help. Sometimes it's like just a matter of looking like one street back. The streets you drive down look so nice. But if you just go one street back, you really see the things that most people are ignoring. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> I had um, one person specific. Oh, I had a handful of people ask questions. And they said, can you ask Jen these questions? When uh -huh. you're I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I think we need to clarify some things. Because okay. <laughs> people were like, so how much does she get paid? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I messed up. What do you mean? Well, she's like a professional power lifter. And I said, no, she's a high school teacher. Uh -huh. I, said, yeah, but she, I said, oh, she doesn't get, we don't get paid. People don't get paid. Yeah. Sponsor or something for a belt. But, yeah. but so someone literally thought that your job was just train in the basement, mm -hmm. go win world championships and collect your checks. You want to clarify that for them? Well, if we lived in another country, that might be true. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes that happens over in Europe and Russia and places like that. Uh, but I know Canada and America, no. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, we actually have to pay our own money to go to world events for our own drug testing. We have to pay with buy our own track suits, you know. Uh, it's, there's, there, um, yeah, any money you get is really usually, I get some, some sports from sponsors, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I do a little coaching and seminars that brings in some money, but that's actually work. That's just not, <laughs> not, not a given. So I don't know really too many people that make a living. I don't think there's anyone that makes a living off the sport, like where they just train and that's their living. I don't mm -hmm. know anybody. Yeah. Um, there has to be some sort of like programming, coaching, selling of something you know, going on. So although you would like to think that that was it, um, that's not, not the case. No, it's just all for the love of the sport. <laughs> and your gym, do you, do, have you named your gym? Like I've got the fudge factory in my basement. Yeah. Do you ah, that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just call it Thompson's gym. Thompson's. Yeah. Not, not, not Jen Thompson's gym. Cause there's nope. Jen Thompson's husband. I know. I know. <laughs> We've always just called it Thompson's gym. Even, uh, way back before we even did any of this stuff because we've always had a, a, a basement gym and we've always had friends come work out with us so it's just so yeah just it's not really um creative <laughs> I'm actually, I'm but we have t-shirts and stuff <laughs> that, that's a start i'm going on a, a podcast as a guest next week so there's this guy and he's got a, a company where he customizes uh basement gyms home gyms uh, yeah which yeah. what is it which one is that one Custom home gyms. That's what's called. Okay. Custom home gyms. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll be on his, and I'll I'll share. You, you'll see here in the next few weeks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Like it really is. I have been following some like um, garage gym type of um, social media things. Man, some people come up with some great stuff um, in just a, a small amount of space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, just from what I can see here, you, you look like you've got everything you need. Right, like you've got. Oh some yeah. Funky well, a lot of this stuff is um, like original from the '80s, where my husband and his friends built it. You know, in the in Detroit, Tool and Die on their um, off times. You know, they they built a lot of the racks and a lot of the equipment. We we have like I have a whole gym tour on my YouTube stations, 132 pounds of power. And Donovan talks about how like some of these pieces, like you couldn't go in and buy it in the store. You would go in, you look at the model. And you say, okay, I want this, but can you do this and this for it? And then they would build it for you. Mm -hmm. There was no like mass amount of weight equipment that you could buy. Mm -hmm. So, but the good thing is it lasts forever. So, you know, so we still have stuff from the eighties in here. That's still doing just fine. 
Yeah. And sometimes I always say, um, like weight is weight. Yeah. Right? Like, like to get stronger, you need weight to stimulate and stress yeah. your body. And sometimes it doesn't have to be pretty weight. Weight is just weight. Yeah. Hardcore stuff's the best stuff. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of equipment you got in the Thompson's gym? Well, outside of the bench. Yeah. We just got um, a belt squat machine. And I love that because um, as I got older, you know, my spine doesn't take all the, the crushing weight so well anymore. So it gives me a great alternative to keep building up my squat without squishing my spine all the time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's my, uh, that's my longevity saver is the uh, squat machine. <laughs> yeah, the, the belt squats had a lot of positive reviews mm-hmm. um, just for lifters of yeah. multiple ages to still train the lower body without mm-hmm. compressing the spine. And I think it's going to be one of the standards for the M ones and up. I think so too. And you can even just do it in your own gym by standing on some, um, some blocks and just hanging a belt with some weight. You don't have to go with the fancy belt squat machine. Um, so it's something you can easily incorporate into just stuff you have laying around the gym. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that you do to maintain kind of your health as you're getting a, a little bit? That was one of the questions. Someone said, well, she's a master age lifter. How is she so dominant? So have you modified or changed things over the years to accommodate for, for your body? Um, I haven't done a ton. Like when I hit 30s, I added some more rest in. I really just kind of kept it. We do a two day on, two day off training system. So we get two days of rest back to back every week, every eight days. Um, So that has helped. Uh, I've sort of had to modify some things like I do less, less under the bar work, more machine work. I still do it, but just not to the extent that I did. I try to supplement in some less um, body stress type exercises and then supplement-wise, you know, take the calcium and the vitamin D. But I started taking some, uh, I'm not even sure if I'm taking, saying this right, hydroponic acid, hydrolic. I can't say, I can never say it right. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Biflex, which is, you know, it's like just glucosamine and chondriatin. And although my joints feel great, like nothing feels bad on me. Like our other guy was like, you know, you should just take this, you know, <laughs> it just will help. I take it, you should take it. I'm like, well, okay, if you take it, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? So just some things like that. But overall, like it really isn't all that much different. We've always put a big priority on rest, sleep, um, nutrition. Uh, I sit in a hot tub probably a lot more now, but <laughs> other than that, that's it. <laughs> okay. So some of the standard stuff, nothing out of the norm. That's, no, that's good to know. It gives hope for other people. They think, you're, right. doing, they think you're, cl- you're crawling into these like cryo chambers at night and the um, way <laughs> and coffins and stuff. And, and well, I just think it's all about doing everything correctly with good form. You know, I think as long as you, you stick with the basics and you do everything right and you stop when you should stop, I think that's the longevity key right there. You know, when something doesn't feel right, you don't do it. You know, um, and we we have we have a uh, a saying in our gym: it's better to miss right than get it wrong. So we've always sort of maintained that, and I always feel like if you've got that that steady, very compact, very strong form, then it's hard to hurt things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always said that you know exercise or strength training in general is just you know ten to twenty exercises rotated. Mm-hmm. for 20 years <laughs> yeah. and, and if you follow that kind of routine and that protocol without doing too much but not doing too little like you're mm-hmm. going to get stronger and you're going to stay safe for most yeah. of the time slow and steady is the name of the game we're always adding in different um, variations of things i think it's always good to evolve 
and always good to try new things. We're always adding in different accessories and moving things around and trying new things. Um, like we have everything written out on a piece of paper and it says we're on version 26 because we change the version every time we change something up. So we're always trying to stay ahead and, and grow with the sport also, but because you're always learning new things, new technologies. I mean, no one knew what a belt squat machine was a few years ago. Yeah, I, I think I saw you once with a slingshot. Your bench, a slingshot. Was a slingshot and bands or slingshot and chains? You had everything on. <laughs> that was a spooky one. Okay. <laughs> I was like, not sure what's happening. <laughs> I were at a friend Ralph's house up in Ohio, and he has those earthquake bars. Yeah. Um, and this we had he and he really worked out that way. I thought it was hilarious. But he's got like these bands hanging off with weights hanging off the bands and everything's flying everywhere. And I'm like, this is just hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's crazy to see that because from the naked eye, someone who doesn't know the ins and outs or know you personally, they like, th that was a spoof. Mm -hmm. Then you're bench pressing your husband on the bar. Right? Uh -huh. th th that, that is a spoof. So people will be like, hey, that's a little bit out there. But then you'll hold 500 and 550 pounds for a static hold. So they might be like, that's another spoof. But that's oh, no. actually been a, a staple of your training oh, yeah. for decades, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's something um, we started doing it um, in the late 90s. A friend of ours went to chiropractic school. And so they were learning all about isometrics um, when he was in school. And so we started applying isometrics to weight training. And that was one of them. We used to do uh, heavy walkouts too, kind of the same thing for a squat. Um, since I've had some hip injuries, I haven't done that lately, but I did do that mostly. Um, and then the bench in it, we have, found, I mean, there actually, if you look into studies, there's a lot of studies that show that the isometrics have a lot of um, improvement on your concentric strength. And then it helps. I feel like it helps, especially for women with those little stabilizing muscles and the movement of the bar and just staying tight. Um, so actually that, that's a serious one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're bang on. There's, there's, there's a lot of research that actually shows that it does work. It increases tendon strength and tendon, yeah. tendon tolerance mm -hmm. um, and then nervous system adaptations too. And as yeah, you yeah. know, confidence. That's probably the biggest reason we used to do that. And when I was first starting, I would, <laughs> when I first started, first started competing in the back room before we would hit um, the competition, I'd do a heavy hold before I went out so that when I hit those heavy weights, they, don't, they weren't so scary. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now I have enough confidence. I don't need to do that because it does take a little bit. Oh, out world championships later. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, it helped me mentally. He's like, let's, Don, I'm going to be like, let's just do one. Just hold it for a few seconds and I'll take it off. And then when you go out there, what you're doing doesn't feel so bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, want, I want to be respectful of your time here. And I promised a few people that I would bring up these specific questions to you. Um, okay. Talking about the confidence that comes from heavy holds. One question someone asked me to ask you is, how do you stay sharp with your mental game? And I think they were they were concerned about or, or questioning your mental toughness when it comes to the sport, especially with things like like COVID going on right now. How do you mm -hmm. still stay mentally strong with with competing? Uh, yeah, and that's been hard too because there's uh, for the lack of competitions also. So like, you know, how do you stay in it? Um, I, my earlier days, I really had a hard time with the mental game of things. Uh, I would perform way worse in the platform than I ever did in the gym. Spent a lot of time running back and forth to the bathroom. Um, just my nerves would get the best of me. My confidence was low. So I had to step back and try to work on my mental game. I did that through reading a few books. Um, I always refer to, um, it's called uh, Body, Mind, Something by Dan Milman. 
Yeah. And um, I would go back and read that every once in a while. There's certain ones in there that I really like, but really yeah, it's McMillan, a lot. Right? Yeah. McMillan. 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 Yeah. yeah. Or is it Millman? I'll have to go back and look. <laughs> um, but he was actually a professional gymnast coach, but he wrote this about how to kind of get your mind on track into competing. And he has you do these different exercises. Um, and so I, I, I've always kind of take little things from there, but a lot of it's like visualizing and learning what to do with the negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. So usually like when I get those negative thoughts, I smash them. <laughs> you know, I just smash them and I throw them away. You just have to have some technique to get rid of them. It definitely helps to have a um, supportive um, training partner. You know, whenever I get a little bit negative, I got Donovan in there on my shoulder, um, reminding me of what I'm capable of and what I can do. You know, so that certainly helps helps too. Sometimes it's hard, <laughs> but you have to find techniques, you know, for powerlifting, you know, you, when you say, you know, I get those spotters and loaders on my side and that's actually a technique to deal with my nerves. <laughs> Although I enjoy doing it. I like making them a part of what we're doing, getting out there and shouting, hearing people yell for me and knowing that every one of those spotters is rooting for me helps me feel confident in what I'm going to do. When so, I saw you at, um, was it Liberty college? Mm-hmm. When you bench 325 in front of the mm-hmm. football players. When mm-hmm. I watched that video, I was, I was squeezing my fists. <laughs> I didn't even realize it because mm-hmm. the energy of the athletes around that were cheering and stuff, mm-hmm. I was feeling through the internet. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps still. And so I try, I always try to sort of recreate something like that because it was, I mean, there was no way I was going to miss that weight. Not with all that going on, you know, not with all that support and everyone wanting and willing you to do it. So a lot of times when I get on the platform, I'll scream or I'll wave my hands up to the crowd. I try to get them going, but that's me getting them to help me. <laughs> and when there's all that going around, it's hard to have those negative thoughts enter in your brain. Oh, I missed this in practice. Do, can I get this out? It's heavy. I'm not feeling so good. I just, you know, I lost too much weight. All that sort of stuff goes away and lets you focus on what you need to do. Uh, there's a book I don't know if you ever read it called The Alter Ego, Alter Ego Effect. Uh-uh. So essentially, the author talks about, you know, athletes specifically, or you can use same tactics in other parts of your life. You put on an alter ego when you want something to come from it. So um, Beyonce Knowles, hers uh-huh. is Sasha Fierce. Uh-huh. So she goes on stage to perform. She pretends she's someone else and that lets her do, do mm-hmm. her thing or handle the nerves, the anxiety that she gets. Because I guess apparently she's a very quiet, you know, more of a shy person, but when she's on stage, she's not. So I think you have an alter ego too. Yes, that's on true. That platform. When my students will see me, like we'll watch, they watch videos of my events and things like that. They're like, I cannot believe that's you. <laughs> so if you had to have an alter ego name for mm-hmm. like competition gen, what would it be? Uh, I don't know. I am not a creative person. We might have to send that out to social media and have them come up with something because I don't really know. But... I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm quick and witty like that with names. <laughs> okay, we'll, 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 let, uh, we'll let the internet decide. Yeah, let me know what they say. I'll watch. <laughs> got one final question I want to ask you today, Jen. At one point in your life and my life, we will take our last breath. Our day will be done. Oh. I don't want to get too deep here, but I, just want to, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think of something like this. A book is going to be written on you. A book's going to be written on Jen Thompson. What would that final chapter look like? What would you want that final chapter to say about you? Jen did blog. Jen was good at this. This is how Jen had a legacy when it comes to whatever. What would you like the final chapter to say uh, about you? Um, 
Well, there's so many things, but I, I hope I would hope that it would say I would I love the word legend. <laughs> so I hope I'm a legend in this sport and legend being that um, I was a groundbreaker. I helped make it what it was. I was a part integral part in making this sport what it is at that time. But I also hope it says I was a really great mom <laughs> and that I created really great people. I helped bring really great, great people around me to be great productive citizens of our society that gave back in some way. So I kind of hope two things. I hope that um, my name's always associated with powerlifting. And then I hope that those around me did something great that was helpful and, and were good people in our community. And that's one of the nicest things I've heard in a long time. <laughs> That is that is so awesome. You already are a legend. Like, like you've got it's that. Hard for me to think that way, though. <laughs> well, I say whatever actually broken down. Like what you've done specifically. Like, um, like you're be- you hold bench press records in multiple weight classes at the mm-hmm. world championship level. Yeah. Drug tested. No one else has that. You know, yeah. No one else has that. Yeah. Your, well, your my husband will say that. Higher so. than the um, the eighty four. Yeah. You weight classes. Just, when you say things like that, it feels like you're talking about somebody else. <laughs> two two weight classes at the world championship. I've only seen like maybe less than 10 lifters ever do that. And usually the record's broken like a month later at some yeah. other event. These have been up for a while now. Yeah. You've got the legend part down. Okay. And I'm watching and I'm watching your boys on social media and the way your family interacts. So all I can extrapolate from that is you are a super mom, probably the world's strongest <laughs> mom. Um, so I think that that chapter is going to be written about you. Thank you. I'm going to keep working on it, but thanks. <laughs> well, I just want to end this by saying thank you so much for taking the time today. And anyone who's listening right now, hopefully they got a couple golden nuggets here about just how to be, just how to be a better person. And I think <laughs> you, you do that on a daily basis. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for sitting down and taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, and I'm so glad you you asked me. And I love um, following you and watching you um, curl your kids and stuff. It <laughs> makes me laugh. And it's um, you put out a good vibe. I appreciate you having me and, and having this podcast for people to listen to. Thank you. Hopefully we get to see each other sooner than later. I sure hope so. <laughs> I'm going to link all the stuff on uh, the show notes there for all the things you do, including your YouTube channel, your Twitch, all that jazz there. And then I would also like to link any of the charities that you're involved with in case yeah. anybody would like to make a financial donation or if they're in the area and they want to donate some time to help out too. That would be great. Awesome. You have a phenomenal day, Jen. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much. Take care. <laughs> never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.